The Word of God comes to us, first of all, from the Old Testament, from the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us listen for God's Word to us today. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. There is a time to plant and a time to uproot. And from the New Testament, a teaching from Jesus, from Matthew chapter 13. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said, Well then, do you want us to go and gather the weeds up? He replied, No. No, for in the gathering of the weeds, you would uproot the wheat too. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And then at the harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but then gather the wheat together into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Adam and Eve were told to name everything. Remember the story? Everything was brought before them and they were supposed to label everything. And I think they did a pretty good job, but I wonder if they mistook a few things. Do you ever, have you ever wondered if the elephant was supposed to be the salamander or vice versa? Or you want, just wonder where they came up with all those names. I think about how hard it is to identify trees. I, I took a course in Southern Appalachian naturalism studying the forests of the Smokies. And just trying to figure out which tree is which is so hard. I mean, just from you can't just do it from the leaves or the bark. They, they all start to look alike after a while. You have to know where they're, where they're growing and, and how many of little lobes they have and, and what their seed is like. It's, it's so complicated. It's, it's very hard. I, it's easy to misidentify lots of things in this wide, created world of ours. I think about the middle of downtown Atlanta, that stretch of interstate where 75 and 85 come together. They call it the connector. It's not a connector. That's a congester, a a clogger. Um, I think about, um, you know, the rockets that we, we have built, some powerful rockets, not like those rockets that Palestinians are launching into Israel, I'm talking big, powerful rockets that have massive destructive power. And you know what we call them? Peacekeepers. We have a terrible time identifying who our friends and enemies are these days around the world, don't we? It's hard to know who our allies are. Who who should we back in Syria or Egypt or, or anywhere? It's hard to know. Who is the friend and who is the enemy? And sometimes the one we thought was the enemy turns out to be our ally. 
it's really hard to discern people. It's hard to correctly label them, I think. It's confusing. I remember this little church where um, they were struggling and they needed new members and and this woman came and visited and she came a couple of times and she decided rather quickly she wanted to join this church and the people were so excited, very friendly. Uh, They were so happy to have another member. Um, And then, so about a couple weeks later, she actually joined the church and about that time, questions began to be raised about this woman. People wondered. They just thought she was a little different. And after a couple of more weeks, it became apparent that this woman had a transgender identity. And it was very upsetting and confusing for the church. What about the children? What about the bathroom situation? What do we do? Who really is she or he? It was, it was very troubling for the church, and they decided uh, rather quickly to pull the weed out and push her, push her on her way. This parable wrestles with situations such as this, I think, with the age-old problem of good and bad growing together. Why are there weeds? Why did God even permit weeds? Why did God not prevent them? Why do bad things happen to people? Why do bad people come around in our world? This parable raises these questions, but it doesn't even really try to answer them. It's really frustrating. All it says is is that God knows about it. God did not cause it. But God will do something about it in good time. God is ultimately not responsible for the evil of this world. This is not some kind of dualism. It's the blunt recognition that there is the existence of good and bad in the world. And we can demythologize or remythologize the parable, but really the parable leaves this as a mystery, doesn't explain it. The parable simply asserts that God is good and will do something about it. God knows the difference between what is good and bad, right and wrong. And the parable tells us that although we wish God would hurry up and clean things up now, weed the garden now, God will knowingly and lovingly act out of the well-being of the whole field in due time. I read recently that Monsanto, you know, they came up with this wonderful product called Roundup. You've probably used some of it, right? It kills everything green. It's just fantastic. And they, uh, they, when they were making it at their factory, they had some chemical seepage coming out, and they realized that there was bacteria growing in the Roundup that was there on the ground, and they figured out, we can use this. And so they developed seeds that were resistant to Roundup. They, dis- they figured out how to genetically modify some seeds so that now farmers can spray, spray Roundup over the whole fields, but the, the good plants will resist the Roundup, and the, the Roundup will only kill the weeds. That's, that, wouldn't that be great if we had that? For, for other situations? You know, 
I want to talk for you talk to you just for a minute about our general assembly. You know that our Presbyterian church had uh, its every two-year gathering in Detroit about a month ago. All the churches all over the place, we, we sent representatives through our presbyteries, we gathered together, and the General Assembly took scores of actions, considered hundreds of motions and amendments. And let me just mention a, a, just a little sampling of them. They, this, these are some of the things our General Assembly approved. They approved a mission initiative to educate one million children here in the United States and around the world because we believe that educating children is so, so important. We approved, the General Assembly approved, uh, new ecumenical partnerships with Christians of other uh, uh, denominations. They approved measures to to, uh, prevent gun violence and to support victims of gun violence. They uh, approved adding the Confession of Belhar to our Book of Confessions. It's a confession that originated out of the Church of South Africa. And they approved, well, they celebrated over 250 new worshiping communities that uh, our uh, church has spawned over the last couple of years. They also took a couple of other more, I guess you'd say, uh, controversial actions. One, after about 10 years of study, international trips, dialogue, debate, back and forth, multiple votes, the General Assembly called for the divestment of our uh, investment funds, our pension funds, from three American corporations. Motorola, Hewlett-Packard, and Caterpillar because of their profiting off of what the General Assembly labeled oppression in Israel against Palestinians. Now that is something that is difficult. We, we know that is a controversial, a sensitive thing. It's a difficult situation, obviously, because for, what, 68, 67 years... We've struggled, our, our nation and the world, with Israel and Palestine. Painful situation, as we can see going on right now. But our denomination, through the General Assembly, took a stand that after years of trying to have corporate dialogue with those three entities, this step needed to be taken. And then the, the, the final thing I'll mention is that there was a change in wording in our, uh, in our direction as teaching elders. And the wording is this, that any uh, teaching elders are given pastoral discretion to perform any such marriage that they believe the Holy Spirit calls them to perform, where legal in that state. Now, in a way, this isn't altogether different than what was previous. Always, teaching elders had the freedom about to, to decide which weddings they would perform and which weddings they wouldn't. If a couple came to a Presbyterian clergy and wanted to be married, if that clergy person 
for whatever reason, did not want to participate in that service. No one could force them to do that. Just as um, they could not, no couple can automatically use this sanctuary for a wedding without permission of the session. And that has not changed. What has changed is specific language that was previously in the Book of Order that prohibited same-sex weddings. That has changed. Also, that marriage involves a unique commitment between two people, traditionally a man and a woman. That language is slightly different, but slightly makes a big difference. Now, these, for some folks, are very, these, these are decisions to celebrate for some folks. And they are very painful decisions for others. I think I want to go back to the parable. The word weed in the parable is not just weed. It's a specific kind of weed that looks like wheat, especially when it is first coming up out of the ground like a little shoot. They look like the same thing, hard to tell them apart. It reminds me of Paul's struggle within himself. He talks about it in Romans chapter 7 where he says that he feels that wheat and weeds are both within him. He puts it this way, I don't understand my own actions. The things I hate, I do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And what I want to do, what I intend to do, I don't do. I've got wheat and weeds growing entangled in my own soul, in my own behavior. This sounds like me much of the time. And I hope a faithful, diligent, weed-pulling brother or sister will give me time to keep growing, to let God keep working with me. I know how I feel about these issues, but I also believe that God will sort it out, that it is not my right to weed the garden. I think that much is clear in this parable that God knows weeds and wheat better than we do, that God has a tremendous love for the crop and is more caring and more tender, more attentive to the crop than we ever could be. Thanks be to God for God's forbearance, for God's Wisdom, for at the cross, even evil weeds were forgiven. God, in this parable, puts off judgment while actively tending the field. And so he said, the farmer to his workers, You are not the gardeners, you need to wait. Let me do as I will. Jesus, remember, said, My Father is the vine dresser and will prune the vine so that it will bear much fruit. And so all creation groans, waiting for that day 
when there will be that final wheat and weed uh, sorting it out. All creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, Paul wrote. But in the meantime, we're called to bear fruit. We're called to be a fruitful vine, to let God prune us all and to refrain from doing the pruning ourselves. It's a, it's a difficult thing to know how to live that out, isn't it? It's a simple parable. It's really not a very complicated little story. It's a hard thing to know what to do with your feelings if you're so joyous or so upset. So I want to encourage us to be gentle with each other, to be patient with each other, humble, forgiving, to seek together the truth of God that can help all of us bear the fruit of the gospel together. God put off judgment while actively caring for the field. I think he might say, go and do thou likewise. Amen.